Well, thank you, Sharon. Um, if you look around and you see we're a little light on the ground this morning, it's not because of the bank holiday. It's because of all the people I asked to read that chapter during the week, and they all began to make excuse. Uh, there's a lot of names there, and thank you for your skillful reading. Um, as Danny said, um, we have come to the conclusion of our studies here in Romans. We started back in January 2020, and none of us could have imagined what would have happened in the preceding 18 months. But now we come to this final chapter, chapter 16. We, we need to ask the question, don't we, as we conclude, what would it look like for us if this letter of Paul to the Romans really hits its mark? What would it look like if it really hit home? I suspect for many of us, I hope for many of us, as we have studied this great letter together, we know and we understand a bit more about the truth of the gospel. And perhaps for many of us, we've become more confident in our faith, and that is a fantastic thing. And over the last seven weeks, as we have looked at the practical implications of the doctrine that Paul has taught us in this letter, I trust that we're more motivated to love one another and to do good. I'm so glad that's not my kids. Those would be great outcomes and, uh, and, 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 and I hope they are part of the outcomes that we get. But is that the, the key point that Paul was getting at in sending this letter? What would it look like if this letter really landed home with us here at Crescent Church? Well, to, to sort of get to that question, which we'll return to as we conclude at the end, I want to look at the end of the chapter, what I like to call the Jim Crooks method of going to the final section of the chapter at the start of the sermon. Look at verse 25 again and see how Paul concludes and signs off this letter. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul concludes this great letter, his, his masterpiece, with a word of praise to God. And he repeats the exact same theme that you get in chapter 1 as he points us to where true power lies. And as he signs off, he knows that the churches in Rome, his next mission in, off to Spain, and we here at Crescent Church are going to be strengthened we're going to be fueled. We're going to be established for what is to come in only one way. And it's not a Christian elected a leader or politician nor a traditional voice in the public square or in the media. Rome is about to become the epicenter of some of the worst Christian persecution in the history of the church. In our own country, Christianity is going to become more marginalized. Christian values may in fact become despised. But that's not where Paul is looking to for security and for the establishment of the Christian church. No, Paul says now to him who is able to strengthen you. Literally, he says, now to him who has the power. And the power by which we will be strengthened, the power by which we'll be established to keep going, to keep growing, the power that will bring us to eternal glory, that power, Paul says, is found in, see verse 25, my gospel. Or also the preaching of Jesus 
Christ. Two things, one and the same. As he said in chapter one, the gospel of God, the the power of God is displayed in this good news, this pronouncement that the long-promised Savior is here. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. So our first point, very simple, the church grows by the gospel of Jesus Christ in which the power of God is displayed. We grow by the gospel of Jesus Christ in which the power of God is displayed. This is where the power of God lies. For real growth, for men, for women, for brothers and sisters, here, the proclamation of gospel truth. It's simple, but it's profound. And we see it in nature, don't we? It's been quite fun, hasn't it, to see all the new babies that have been born. And and now, you know, I'm a wee bit older, I get to look at the new mums and dads and really enjoy them going through the process. Cots, Moses baskets, flatbeds, nursing pillows, nursing covers, nursing nests, nursing chairs. Next baby, M&S baby, and if you're on eBay, you can get Zara baby for a really good price. Buggy systems, and that's where the stereotypical dad really steps in, you know. Oh, this one's got great handling, and it really does well on the corners, and we should get the one with a suspension for when we go hiking. White noise, water drop noise, pink noise. The more noise, the more the baby sleeps. And we buy all these things, we stock up, we prepare. Nappy bins, who knew that was a thing? We have two for some reason. And all these things we do and investigate before the new baby comes. We buy, we get hand-me-downs. It's all good, but you know what? Actually, none of those things make the baby grow. They're all nice and useful to have, but there's only one thing that's going to make the newborn strong. There's only one thing that's going to make the newborn be established and build up its immune system and grow and be healthy and nourishing and thriving. And that is milk isn't it? All those other accessories are good, but there's only one thing that's going to have the actual power to strengthen that newborn, and that is milk. And brothers and sisters, as Paul signs off this letter this morning, he wants us to get that there's one thing that's going to make us strong, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The proclamation of of Jesus Christ. That is the milk as we center ourselves and magnify the Lord Jesus in the gospel truth that will make us strong for whatever changes happen in our country. To strengthen rushing and anxious minds. We thought about it two weeks ago, didn't we? We need the gospel of God, the proclamation that we have a heavenly father who cares for us and proved it to us in the cross. To strengthen feeble hearts that are so easily tempted by money, sex, and power. We need to be strengthened by the gospel to be reminded that that Jesus Christ is Lord and what it is to live in accordance with that truth and that he is worthy of our worship. To strengthen our families, to strengthen our marriages. We need to be reminded and grasp what it meant for Christ to love the church, what God meant when he made a covenant with us and was faithful to it, despite us being unlovable. We've seen in the previous 15 chapters that the gospel is good news of 
of cosmic proportions and it affects every element of life. And we desperately need the strengthening that it provides. The church grows, we grow by the gospel of Jesus Christ in which the power of God is displayed. And Paul goes on in verse 25, doesn't he, to say it's made known by the word of God according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings it has been made known. My Thursday this week, you know, looked a lot like this. Ugh. No signal. Wi-Fi was playing up. All I got were these blurry images on WhatsApp. Even my Instagram wasn't working. So frustrating. All the lovely photos I get throughout the day of donuts and cakes and the occasional picture of my kids. Nothing was downloading. It was just a blurry mess. And I could kind of make it out, but I couldn't get the details. And it can seem like that sometimes when we're in the Old Testament, can't it? As Paul calls them here, the prophetic writings. The big picture can seem a bit blurry, like an incomplete download. But Paul says, not now. Now with the coming of Christ, it's clear. The picture is now fully downloaded. The scriptures in all the ages have pointed to this one and he has come. The mystery has been revealed the prophetic writings fulfilled, they're now in sharp focus. And so growth comes through the power of God in the gospel and it's made known in the clarity of the word of God. And so that's why we have and we continue to prioritize the proclamation of God's word here at Crescent. All of it, Old Testament, New Testament, steadily and thoroughly as it comes to us by God's design, not cherry-picking the bits we like or prefer. And we want everything we do here, all of our ministries, to help us to get to know Christ in the power of the gospel in the word. So whether it's the programs for the little ones, the teenagers, the students, the young adults, those of us entering midlife crisis or those of us in the more mature category, we all need the word that we may get the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why many of us have found home group helpful when we've discussed the passages that have been taught here in our Sunday morning services. So we can dig a little deeper, get the truth of these passages deeper into our hearts and our minds. It's why we need to talk to each other about the scriptures, get used to opening our Bibles together, sharing verses, resources, sermons. I can't wait to get back to live events. But part of why we love going to live sports events or love going to the cinema or love going to, to music is that we get to share it with people afterwards. As we're walking out, did you enjoy that bit? I loved that bit. That bit was amazing. So maybe after our Sunday services, we can ask each other, what did you find encouraging? What was challenging? What was surprising? What was most memorable in that passage this morning? You see, real growth, strengthening, establishment is only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power in which the power of God is displayed, made known in his word. 
Well, in this, with this in mind, let's briefly jump back to that list of names, back to verses 1 to 17. We don't have a, a whole lot of time to go through the details this morning, but at first reading, it does seem a little bit strange, doesn't it? At the end of this wonderful letter, we have this long list of names. It's a bit like Paul's contact list or his, um, his Facebook mutual friends list. I now know post-pandemic, everybody here, no matter what your age is on Facebook, it's a bit like he's emptied out his, his friends list here in a list. But it's a, it's a wonderful snapshot that we get of his team of friends and contacts. And in fact, it's, it's, it's almost a bit like uh, the Queen's Honours list, you know, where we get the list of people who are, who are honoured because of their contribution to arts or business or charity. Only this cast of characters are, are honoured because they're engaged in the most important work on the planet, and that is their contribution to gospel work. And although some of the names on the list were probably missionaries, many of them had jobs to keep, businesses to run, families to raise. I find it so encouraging that it's such a long list. There's all sorts of different folk, and they were real people, many of them just like us only 2,000 years ago. But it's clear that the, the common theme that comes up time and time again and the reason for which they get listed on this list and commended by Paul is that they worked hard. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 9, verse 12, verse 12 again, worked hard. Verse 21, my fellow worker. You see, those who had worked hard were working together, they were pulling in the same direction because they had become convinced that the power of God was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the first and the basic question we have to ask ourselves as we read through this list is, are we pulling our weight and working hard for the gospel? Just notice the, the chain of people that had to work hard in order to bring this letter to reality. You had Tertius, who was writing it down. You had Gaius, who was hosting Paul and providing food and lodgings for him. And of course, in verse number one, you have Phoebe, who most likely, given the language, was the postwoman who carried this letter from Paul in Corinth to the churches in Rome. And think how many people in glory will be queuing up to thank Phoebe for her faithful hard work in bringing this letter to Rome. How many people down through the ages have been come to know the glory of the grace of God because of the hard work of these team, this team of people around Paul? We don't know the details, but did you notice in, in verse number three that it sounds like if it wasn't for Priscilla and Aquila, Paul wouldn't even be here to write the letter. They risked their necks for my life, he says in verse number four. They had calculated that it would be better to risk losing their life for the gospel than to waste it and avoid risk and concentrate on their leather and tent-making business. These people, they worked hard. There's big investment. It's a snapshot of the blood, sweat, and tears that has gone into gospel ministry at that time. And so the first thing we notice, the challenge we receive, are we working hard for the gospel? But secondly, briefly again, note the diversity of those who are working hard. 
Firstly, there's diversity throughout the list of names in terms of Jew and Gentile. Paul mentions frequently those who are his kinsmen, i.e. those who are fellow Jews. But yet the majority of the names are Latin and, and, and Greek, but they're working hard, working together. People from different nationalities, different backgrounds. Secondly, there's a diversity in those who are slaves. It talks about those who are the, the household or the family, literally the household of so-and-so, that they're slaves. But then you've also got the city treasurer, the guy who's on the big job and the big bucks, but they're working together, working hard for the gospel, whatever their status and thirdly and finally, there's a diversity, isn't there, of gender. There's men and women working hard together. And clearly, obviously, in the New Testament, the Bible teaches that there's different roles for men and women in the ministry of the church. But this passage in particular affirms the significant role and status of women in the ministry of the gospel. And we need more of that, don't we? We need women like Mary with grit and backbone who will work hard for the gospel. Entrepreneurial and trustworthy women like Phoebe. And we've been blessed with so many of them down through the generations here at Crescent. And time doesn't permit us to, to list them all, but you go through the, the different men, the different women, you see them working hard, working together. This community, as we saw in Chapter 12 is unique, the church community unique, crossing normal dividing lines that normally separate a society, working together, working for the gospel. We're here not because of our background, not because of our schooling, our style, or our nationality, but because we belong to Jesus, and we get stuck in working hard, working together. We don't really have time Verse number 17 to 20, very briefly, Paul's tone sharpens. As he talks about those to warmly greet and those to welcome and those to partner with, he reminds us there are also those that we have to ignore and oppose. Literally, look critically for those who cause stumbling blocks. Be aware, be alert. Don't assume if anything, during the pandemic, it has accelerated and expanded how much we're online, how many different sources we come, have coming at us, the 24-7 online news, social media, Netflix. The internet pulls us in a hundred different directions with different messaging. Look critically for that which would pull you away from the gospel, that which would cause an obstacle. As Paul says in verse 17, shut it down, avoid it, delete it. So let's conclude. What would it look like if this letter really hit the mark? Of course, it's true that after studying this letter, we should know more about the gospel. And that should give us confidence that we are God's. We should feel resolved and motivated to love others and to do good. And all those things are good and necessary. But I think Paul had something else in mind as he wrote this letter. We saw last week, didn't we, that, that Paul personally was at this pivotal point in his ministry. In chapter 15, he said that he's completed his ministry around the eastern Mediterranean, and he now wants to come to Luke West. He's ready for something new. He has his sights set on Spain, and he writes this magnificent letter to the church in Rome with the purpose that they would be the pit stop 
that they would be the launch pad that would launch his ministry into the Western Mediterranean. And so as we close the page on this series, as we close this letter, we can't simply just say, that's great, I understand justification by faith so much better now. Or I really understand God's sovereignty and the history of the world now much better. No, this letter, and as Paul concludes it, is a call to enlist us as wholehearted partners with him in the greatest work of history, that is taking the mission of the gospel to the nations. That's where we cut off there in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Paul is inviting us in the mission of this era to join with him in taking this gospel proclamation to the ends of the earth. Do we want to be involved? I learned this week that in June 1941, the, uh, the Americans read about an extraordinary British mission into Nazi-occupied France. Newspapers, including the Baltimore Sun and the New York Post, detailed how that British troops parachuted into to France with Tommy guns and grenades and overpowered guards. They destroyed 30 German planes, and then they all safely made it back to Britain in torpedo boats with 40 prisoners of war. It was an incredible story that was published in the American press. It was also completely made up. And throughout that year, the MI6, every week, uh, sort of smuggled out false stories into the press to try and change the public opinion in America and to G them up and to make it easier for them to join the war effort against the Nazis. But here Paul isn't being secretive. It isn't a covert operation that he's trying to smuggle in. But this letter is an invitation to join with him in the battle, the cosmic battle to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Are you up for it? Are you willing to get behind it, to get involved in God's great work in this age? Are you in? Can we say with Paul, we are under obligation, so we are eager to preach the gospel. What would it look like if we were eager to take the message that Paul has set out in these 16 chapters and take it to the world on our doorstep? Some of us younger members need to pick up the torch that has been so faithfully carried by a vast number of the older members of this church in praying for and funding mission work around the world. Crescent Church has a long reputation for supporting that mission work and we need to pick up that torch and carry it on. Perhaps some of us are going to leave Belfast and go to a different country and engage in cross-cultural mission to take the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord to the ends of the earth. 
For other of us, it might be taking a job opportunity in a different part of the country, in a, in a different part of the community across the border, Dublin, Cork, Donegal, where there isn't as much gospel witness. But for the majority of us, it's going to look like a, a renewed eagerness in the, the same routines, in the same day-to-day experience. Perhaps it starts with asking another to pray for opportunities, like Paul does in Colossians 4, that a door would be opened for the word and that we would proclaim it clearly. Maybe for you it's the school gate or the sports club. For many of us it's the workplace where we spend most of our, our, our week. Pray for opportunities to bring this message of Jesus Christ, the power of God in the gospel. As I conclude, we just... We're talking to one of our members yesterday, a dear sister who lost her job over lockdown and, and had to find a new job. And she said to us, the only thing I asked the Lord was, whatever the job is, may it be one that I can share the gospel message. And of course he listened. And the first day on the job, the first person she met, the conversation went on and went on. And eventually the, the person asked, you know, there's so much in my life I really have to ask, could there be a God? If you ask God for the opportunities, be ready, because he will answer. We conclude with verse number 20. Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I thought the promise was it would be the seed of the woman. Here Paul tweaks it to say the victory of Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished on the cross, will be rolled out in this age to the nations by the work of normal people like you and me. What a joy to be involved in taking this proclamation to those who have not yet come to know the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ.